the words he used, you know, rang like a bell that said, that looks pretty good at what the work I had prepared, but the deal's too small for me. I was like, aha, go bigger, go bigger. So then back to that, well, why can't I do a hundred? Why can't I do a 200? Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Today, I'm excited to have a couple of uh, guys here. We got Bill Zaylor and Richard Coyne. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they are the founders, co-founders of Park mm-hmm. Capital Properties. Uh, a little bit about Z- Bill first. He's an active real estate uh, syndicator, real estate investor. He's been involved in the real estate space for about 14 years uh, or maybe longer. He's 14 years at, and now Park Capital. Is that right? So uh, that's correct. Yeah, 20 so- years close to right. it? Right. We- Starting in Park Capital Properties was my LP side investing arm, and then Rich and I are co-founders of Park Capital Partners. Awesome. On the, uh, on the old GP side. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, and and you are a pilot as well. Do you still do the piloting stuff? I did. Yeah, it, uh, the schedule allows quite a bit of time off, so there's you know at least thirty weeks per year I have totally off, uh, and the rest can do you know via you know laptop, Zoom calls, everything else can do. A lot of that on the road, but uh, yeah, still still fly internationally with the I, same company for 26 years. Nice, nice. That's great. And so, and you're a certified capital raising specialist. I've never heard that. Certified business broker. We're going to have to talk about what certified capital raising specialist is. Uh, and you're the founder of the Asheville Multifamily Investor Club, co-host of the Carolina Real Estate Investors Association Multifamily Group. Um, and of course those both focus on multifamily and syndication, uh, and Richard, he is also, uh, the, uh, part of the, uh, park capital partners, LLC. And, um, you have, you are retired, right? Software exec more than 30 years yes. of experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, hold a PMP and leverage that discipline in apartment analysis, investing and operations. What's a PMP? It is a project management professional. Uh, um, gotcha. It certainly is uh, relevant in the software world and the, not really anything construction. Uh, you know, I, I have actually used the, you know, some of the discipline that I've learned from, you know, following that path, you know, in real estate investing, it's uh, you know, I think it's just a great uh, background. And again, that was kind of my, my thing, I just uh, wound up moving into the kind of the project management world and running projects, you know, over time and uh, getting a PMP just made sense. So and I still keep that current. Cool. Cool. Uh, you're also uh, helping run the Asheville Multifamily Investor Club and the Carolina Real Estate uh, Investor Association Multifamily Group. Yes. Um, and something really awesome that I, I love uh, doing, you're, you're a senior ski patroller. I'm not a ski patroller, but I love skiing, instructor and evaluator. Mm-hmm. So that's really mm-hmm. cool. 
And actually, even cooler, I do it on my snowboard. So there you go. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm not a snowboarder, <laughs> but hey, uh, I've got plenty of friends that are, and we, we always uh, hang out and go together. So good time. Yep. Just, um, so cool. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Um, and thanks for joining me. Let's, uh, let's just take a few minutes, and maybe you guys want to expand a little bit on your backgrounds uh and what you've got going on today and, and i don't care who wants to go first you you can just start yeah, I'll, I'll jump in um so yeah todd thanks uh, again appreciate you having us so you know i i spent a lot of time in the in the corporate world and and uh you know i i enjoyed that and um you know but along the way especially in the last couple of years i was trying to figure out all right uh, how do i how do i build wealth for myself you know how do i how do i kind of grow that my my kids are uh, you know, my kids are now on their own, but same point in time, uh, you know, when I started thinking through this, they were, they were in college and I'm like, wow, I've got to, you know, I focused so much on the family when they were younger. It's now time to kind of focus on, you know, how do I build wealth for my wife and I, and, and that type of thing. So I decided I want to move toward real estate investing and, um, you know, and, and that was, was a fantastic decision. You know, obviously we know there are tax advantages of real estate investing and, you know, and, and, and certainly that was something I jumped into and uh, along the way uh, I met Bill and then we uh, got to know each other and we decided to team up and, you know, it's been fantastic. So we've been working hard and, and doing deals. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. It's funny. You know, you, you have this epiphany, like, how am I going to build wealth? for myself. Like <laughs> I'm working this job and I'm, yeah, I got my, maybe my 401k, but at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's like, man, what am I doing? Like, I, I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. I, I got money coming in, but I'm building well for somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. So, and, and again, you know, in the 401k, obviously you're very limited in the types of things yeah. that you can invest in. So, you know, right. You know, if the returns are good, great. But if the stock market's off and, you know, we know what's up and down all the time and lately it's been, you know, on fire, but at the same point in time, there've been plenty of down years and, and, uh, you know, you're right. It's, it, it, unfortunately, you just don't have control over that. So that's, to me, I don't like that. I like to have a little more, a lot more control. Well, and especially with like the 401k and, and, um, you can't, you're not really choose. You're not like you're analyzing the companies and choosing companies that you feel have long-term growth prospects. You're, you're more or less telling somebody to like, Hey, be aggressive, be semi-aggressive or be really conservative. Like, right. That's kind of what you're just saying. And then they, and then they plug and play. And, and quite frankly, they probably just put in a computer algorithm and that that's all it does. Uh where if you're actually wanting to invest in, in the stock market, and I do a little bit, like, mm -hmm. let's figure out what companies are good. Let's figure out what companies we right. actually believe in and think are going to truly have long-term growth prospects versus just some fund we yeah. have no control yeah. over. Exactly. I want to control my, my money and my finances and where it goes. I feel like that's, uh, that's my obligation with that money. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, there, there, there are plenty of people who, who don't have the time or the interest in trying to take some more control over things and that's fine. And again, obviously, you know, 401ks and, you know, mutual funds are, are fine. And again, lately they've been doing fine overall, but you know, if you pick the wrong mutual fund, again, it could, could tank and you, you know, you obviously again, just don't have that degree of control that I like to see. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Bill, why don't you dive in a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely, Todd. Um, yeah, probably get started in real, real estate investing, probably 2003, 2004 timeframe. Really got heavy into it. I'd moved out from Ohio out to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And that happened to be, you know, kind of one of the epicenters of the growth at the time. A lot of people were doing the same thing, moving from the colder climates, Midwest and out to Arizona. Um, so I kind of did the, I guess, the Burr strategy in a way uh, early. We'd, we'd buy a house, live in it for six months and keep it for rental, move on to the next one. And the construction was popular back then. A lot of the best areas you could get into the like the lottery system and then it's getting built. And so I'd keep moving every six months, which I don't recommend for anybody at this point. Uh, was, <laughs> it was a good way to get started in it, but uh, collected like eight or nine, uh, eight homes out there and then had a lot we're building on. So got kind of started in that way on the single family, which was a great intro to it, learned a lot. But um, at the end of the day, kind of as you, you start running the numbers, I became much more a fan of large numbers. And, you know, doing it, it's, you know, small houses at a time. It just takes a long time to create the kind of cash flow and, and wealth that I was looking to do long term, which led me down the path of looking for, you know, how to get into multifamily. And even initially, um, when I started the search, I was looking for somebody that had, you know, was kind of in my position, had more of a white collar job, and then was looking to, they, they made that successful leap into uh, full-time real estate investing and came across a mentor that um, fit that uh, criteria. And it, he's, They've been doing very successful. Now they've got, I think, over a billion assets under management at this point. Uh, so I had a good systematic way to do it, a path. And initially, I was looking for just a way to get, you know, from my own account, maybe buy a 12-plex, a 30-plex, something like that. The more I got into it, the more I saw that uh, syndication made sense. I uh, really mm -hmm. fell in love with the product and the, the way you can, you can turn properties around. It's a, a great investment vehicle, rich to tax advantages, and way to help help other people, the, not only the, the, the residents, but also our, our investor pool. So that was kind of my, my journey into the syndication world. And I've been doing that uh, with Richard about uh, four years ago, we started um, the meetup group and then have started uh, with our other properties and have gone round trip on some of them now. And it's, it's been a great, great run. Really enjoyed mm -hmm. it. Learned a lot. If you're exploring the different ways to invest in real estate, then you've got to check out my new book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes, reviews, and condenses over 20 top real estate books to help give you an understanding of the full spectrum of real estate investing very quickly. So buy it today on Amazon by searching for Book About Real Estate by Matt Jones. Talk to me a little bit about... Um... How, for I guess first of all, how'd you, how'd you guys meet? Uh, and you know, a lot. Of, I think a lot of people want a business partnership. They think that it might be a good thing. They hear that it's a good thing, but they don't know how to go about it. Other than partnering with like their buddy, who may not have the right skills, who may not have even the right personality, who may not even care about real estate. Like so, mm -hmm. then how do you find that? right person take us through that kind of process the the courting process per se that that you guys kind of went through and how'd you find each other that type of thing yeah absolutely uh yeah we're also on that basically um i think being in the right room um you know you always heard that saying before you know if you're looking for investors the right room partners so we met at actually a real estate local real estate investment um meeting area in Asheville uh years ago so we both had an interest in real estate uh, both were pursuing the multifamily side of it, you know, and, and then kind of, you know, started the conversation and, and kept built. But I'd say partnership is is critical uh, to your growth. It's going to exponentially accelerate what you can do as a team. 
but it, I think it's also equally critical to make sure, as you're alluding to, finding the right partner. You need somebody that has either skills that complement yours, uh, as far as I mean, you can you can both run parallel tracks on on things, but also uh, same you know same work ethic. You want to make sure you guys are both putting in the same amount of effort and time and, and end goals and similar goals horizons on your investment um, ideas and projects, which yeah, Richard and I have, and we worked great together for the last uh, like I said four years and. Uh, we're, we're just getting started on the, the whole syndication, building our, our team out. Yeah. yeah and just to add to that, again, I, absolutely. It's critical to find a like-minded person that uh, you, you have similar goals and similar values and similar objectives, and you're, you're trying to drive in the same direction. And, you know, and, and, you know, as, as Bill and I got to know each other over a couple months before we said, you know what, let's, let's take this to the next level. Let's go to, you know, into, um, you know, let's see if we can work a deal together. And, um, you know, we, again, because of this, the like-mindedness and, you know, we found that that actually <clears throat> could work and it's been, it's been great since. Nice. Nice. Um, how long, how long did you guys met? How long before you started doing business with each other? Was it a while? I think we knew each other for a few months before we decided to team up and, let's, let's and, you know, and again, that was essentially, um, you know, a, a chance meeting, you know, at the same place, like Bill yeah, said, you know, we right. both had the same purpose for going to that meeting to, to, to jump in deeper. And, you know, we wound up meeting each other. Uh, we got to know each other over a couple months. And then I think as we realized that, you know, we are trying to get to the same place, we started spending time deliberately together to, you know, to, to, to get to know each other uh, and, and figure out, you know, is this something that could work? Um, so, you know, it was a, you know, you don't just meet somebody's shake a hand and then go do a deal. You, you got to get to know them a bit to understand who they are as a person. So. So you guys have been buying multifamily since 2016. So you've got um, some experience in it. You've been buying real estate for a while. What are some things that, what are some hurdles? What are some struggles? What are some things that haven't worked that you've learned from? maybe one or two things that you can kind of bring us that maybe, maybe each of you tackle that one, one thing that you, that's been a hurdle. Um, yeah, I, I would say that um, <clears throat> in the beginning, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of hunting and um, you know, you, you decide to, you're going to go down a path, you have a, you know, goal and objective and you want to hit that goal and objective right away. Well, you know, it, it takes a, it takes a while to get there sometimes. And, you know, I would say, Bill and I were working together for probably, you know, a year and a half before we were able to, to get our first deal. Um, you know, that was a lot of, a lot of building, a lot of laying groundwork, a lot of setting up, a lot of, you know, uh, talking to investors, a lot of, you know, deal analysis. We, we ran through, you know, hundreds of deals before we, we were able to, to land one and we got really close on a number. So um, uh, of those, of those opportunities. And, you know, if someone, I guess the, the hurdle there or the, the, the piece to overcome is just the, you know, you've got to have the persistence to keep going. You know, if you get a deal on your first, you know, month of doing this, awesome. Congratulations. You know, but again, it's, it's definitely something where we knew what we were looking for. We were looking for a larger properties we didn't want to just buy a, you know, an eight plex or a, or a 30 plex and they get no offense to anybody who does, you know, that's fantastic too. But at the same point in time, we were hunting, you know, for a big deal. Uh, you know, hundred plus, and you know we, you know, it, uh, 
it was it was a, a great challenge, a growth experience to get there. And again, a lot of hard work, uh, but it but it paid off. And again, we're we were very diligent about going after that, and it uh, and it worked. Yeah, there's so many people that that I talk to that are like they they just expect it to come so quick. And I think part of it is part of it is just because of what we hear, right? We listen to podcasts uh, like this and and like the many others, and you're hearing this people that are buying these hundred plus unit deals or they, you know, they buy all this real estate and, but we, but we don't actually get out of that conversation is that they spent a year and a half Mm -hmm. searching for deals, trying to build relationships, like trying to find that. And quite frankly, like for you guys, there was, it's more than a year and a half. It's been a longer journey than that. It's not Mm -hmm. like it just came Mm -hmm. um, from 2016 and, uh, you know, so it's, it's been a long journey to get to that point, most people don't understand that. And they think, well, you know, I, I got to get this property. I got to get it within six months. And, uh, and then they get disappointed, disheartened, uh, disheartened. And, and then they potentially, a lot of people walk away and say, well, this doesn't work. Or they, they settle for something way less and kind of like, uh, you know, that's the, that's just the way it is. So yeah, in, in a way it's, it's like watching the elite athletes. I mean, you know, yeah. People see this the success and skill they have, but at the same point in time, they don't realize that they've got years and years and years and thousands and tens of thousands of hours of practice to get to that level. And right. you know, and again, it's uh, you, you know, it's it's worth it. Uh, but you know, you gotta you gotta be willing to to put the hours in. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky didn't just start scoring all those goals without ever shooting a puck. Right. 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 Absolutely. right. Yeah. So, right. Bill, what what about you? What's uh, what's something that you guys have have um, you know been able to struggle through? Yeah, I think just to kind of add on what Richard's saying, in the initial, as we were building, we were very deliberate in our approach to getting the right introduction. So we would find, you know, a property manager we wanted to work with. They would introduce to different brokers that were in our, not only in our markets, but also in the asset types. Because, you know, as you know, there's multiple, and if, if your listeners don't know, there's, there's the right broker for what you're looking. If you're looking for C properties, there's somebody in bigger markets like Atlanta that will specialize in that versus your institutional quality, A, A minus assets. Right. Uh, so we found the, the right people in the right cities. And we would, you know, get in the car and make a road trip. We'd have, get down there and meet with the top brokers at multiple firms. We'd sit down with them uh, to be taken serious. And that actually led us to our, our first deal is we would met with the, uh, a group and we happened to be down actually looking at another property. Um, we were touring with a, uh, another uh, brokers in uh, in Atlanta, and we just happened to have them come by our desk maybe the night before, I think, and one mm-hmm. took a quick look at it. And so we thought we'd drive by on the way, and as we drove by, we recognized one of the uh, the brokers we'd met with, you know, the month earlier uh, in his office without touring the property. Uh, text him at lunch. He said, "Yeah, come on, come on back by," and we swung by. He gave us a tour, impromptu, and um, you know. We went home. We were excited about it. Ran the numbers. It made sense, and we found there's an opportunity to pre, uh, preempt um, the whole call for offers process. Nice. And that's how we acquired. And like I said, and Richard said the the first deal we did was uh, 216 units out of the gate as far as a syndication, um, and that that came just from you know the consistency of building relationships over time. If we hadn't you know continuously been that, we wouldn't recognized. And some obviously it was luck, just the right time driving by and seeing him there at the time. But but it came from you know, deliberate action, I guess. So. Between that and, and building out the team, I think, was some of the uh, initial struggles. You know, your very first deal, you need to get a key principal as experience. Uh, we can get into that later in the uh, in the interview, but we had one up until 30, 20 days before closing that backed out at the very last second, which obviously was 
created a lot of uh, extra work for us at the last minute and scrambling and after money's gone hard, some uh, sleepless nights, but uh, it's, yeah, let's, it's di- just- let's dive in. This sounds fun. Let's yeah. dive in. Let's dive into exactly. how, like you guys, you guys bought a 216 unit building for your first deal. How did you do, like how, what, what do you, what do you mean you bought a 216 unit? <laughs> yeah. How? Tell, tell nobody me. told us we couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody told us we couldn't. Exactly. So, you know, like, like Bill said, we, um, we were on our way to go tour another property. We built in some extra time in our calendar to get down to the Atlanta metro area. And uh, we drove by this particular one Bill mentioned we saw the night before. And we, we saw some nice potential. We recognized our, our broker on site. And we, you know, we, we messaged him to say, hey, are you, are you there? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Come on by. So um, as Bill said, we ran the numbers. And you know what we did from there, we, we essentially, uh, you know, we, we went on a, um, essentially a, a mission to prepare the deal to present to investors. So we prepared a deck and then we went through a, you know, raise process, uh, working with some close colleagues and, you know, we were able to, to bring the money. So that, that particular deal was a 12 and a half million dollar acquisition. Uh, so we had 3.2 million of equity we raised for that deal. And, um, you know, we, we had some hair on the deal, like Bill said, uh, you know, our, our key principal, I think it was actually Bill, I think it was actually two weeks before close. Um, so we had to scramble, but fortunately we had, uh, through building contacts in a network, we were, we had identified some, uh, some quickly, some people that were able to step into that role. And again, keep in mind the key principal isn't just somebody with, with money, but it's also somebody with experience. So, you know, fortunately we had that, um, that, uh, a person was able to jump in and, you know, we got the deal done. So it, uh, it was a, you know, some, some place sleep is nice, like Bill said, but, uh, you know, again, pulling that deal down was, was awesome. So yeah, very- have, have you guys gone full cycle of that deal? Or are you still holding it? We had, we did. Yep. We did. Um, Bill, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, back was it September the final yes. closing? Yeah. So September of last and, and year, September. Yeah. in of September, we, uh, sold that, that first deal. And this again, you know, mid COVID, um, so we were still able to exit. Um, we had uh, a projected 18% return for the LP investors and our IR was north of 23 and annualized north of 25% return. So it, our business plan was solid in the, in the beginning on that. Um, that was our key principle. You know, there were the area and it was a C, it's a C class area, working class neighborhood. There were some, there were definitely struggles um, with it. You learn a lot from doing it, but uh, it still was the right property. We, you know, going in, we know we had um, a $200 deal between the property that we literally shared a border with on the eastern side. Uh, their rents were $200 higher per uh, per unit and even forfeiting for the uh, the three-bedroom units. We had one, two, threes, and fours. Uh, so we had a good a good entry point. We could still even increase just, you know, $100 rent premiums would give us at a uh, six and a half cap, which we valued it at was close to $4 million in equity, our value created. Uh, 125 mm-hmm. or close to five million dollars in, in enforced depreciation through the value add strategy, which is which is our model. Um, had a lot of room day one, um, like low flow uh, toilets, aerator, shower heads. They were losing close to ninety thousand, eighty nine thousand dollars. Previous owner we took over um, in water use between what they build a tenant and what what they were actually collecting. Wow. We went and attacked it from both ends. Like I said, the from from the growth side. We added, which was still in line with market, five dollars to the um, the one bedroom, and then ten dollars extra for the flat rate for the two, threes, and fours. And then on the bottom line, we we 
lowered the usage of the water and basically we were to get $60,000 of that back, uh, what we captured. Again, that was close to $923,000 uh, at a six and a half cap and you figure that back out. So there's still ways we create the value and just again, overall looking at the markets, the timing, we initially planned for a five-year hold, but where we were and what was happening, we, we thought the best course of action was to exit it uh, basically just over two years. And we had 25 months, we held it. And let's see, we were to get out with an annualized 25% return to the, uh, to the LPs. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. It's, you know, you mentioned some stuff there that I think a lot of people don't really think about. And uh, I try to talk about quite a bit is some of the operational deficiencies, right? We always focus value add. It seems like it's so focused on raising rents. How can we raise rents? How can we, you know, maximize that, which, you know, obviously that's part of the equation, but in my opinion, the best part of the equation is how can we, how can we minimize some of our expenses that are actually out of control, right? Like you mm-hmm. mentioned on the, on the water, um, just, just doing little things to cut down your cost to then recover that water bill. You know, it's, those are huge items. And guess what? During a recession, those things aren't going away, right? Yeah. Rent can go down during a recession, right? but your expenses, they're not going to just skyrocket up. Uh, well, likely not. Um, they're not going to skyrocket up. So if we can mitigate those, man, minimize those expenses, that's, that's huge. And that's well, guys did a lot Todd, let me, let, me, let me talk about that a second also. One of the things that um, obviously people don't think about it, but an expense is replacing a resident. Hmm. You know, yeah. what happens when a resident moves out? Huge you know, expense. you're going to have to, you're going to have to turn that unit. And if they've been in that unit for 10 years, then the place is trashed, you know, especially in the C property. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of the things we did were to obviously try to do a few resident appreciation things here and there to let them know that we appreciated them. Um, we also, you know, we, we put a million CapEx into the, into the property and very early on, um, probably just call it, uh, you know, six months in, we, we bought in the fall, uh, we executed the water savings program, like Bill talked about before the year was over, um, in the spring, we really moved into some heavy CapEx, uh, including painting the property. It was a lovely harvest gold, 1970s property, 72. Oh, nice. And then we, uh, we moved it to a more modern gray and that made a world of difference. And we had a number of residents say to us or to the property manager on site, you know, this place I was going to move out, but wow, I see you guys are actually putting money into this place to improve it. Thank you for doing that. And I'm going to stay. So we heard that story a couple of times from, from different residents. And um, you know, again, the idea of of not having to, to backfill a resident is, uh, you know, can be a savings right there. A couple thousand easy. Yeah. Those exterior improvements can make a world of difference. It can yeah. get mm-hmm. tenants excited. It gets you excited. It gets, it gets the neighbors mm-hmm. excited and it gets the tenants excited too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And we were doing interior things too. I mean, as yeah. we were turning units, we were, we were making them nice, much nicer by, you know, going to a more modern color scheme and things like that. And, you know, better flooring and better fixtures and things like that. And, you know, and, and for somebody that did renew, you know, we would go in and replace light fixtures just to get, make them feel a little bit better about the, the, the place. And, um, you know, a few people actually on property changed units to go to a nicer one, not, not very many, but a couple changed yeah. to an upgraded unit. Um, and, um, yeah, so that worked well. So nobody told you you couldn't buy a 216 unit building, but nobody told you, or maybe people did tell you you could, what was the, 
like, what's the mindset? How, how did that, like, is there anything in particular that you guys can think of that made you go hundred plus? We want to do hundred plus and we're committed to that. Yeah. I've got a little, little ancillary tale there. And as I was, um, trying to build my knowledge, you know, this is really before Bill and I started working together. I actually was trying to kind of learn about underwriting, learn about doing these deals, et cetera. And I showed one particular person, you know, sort of like a, a, a deal package that, um, you know, I kind of worked up based upon effectively an established pattern. And this particular person was a very experienced, you know, apartment uh, uh, person as well. And, um, you know, he said it, this, uh, I just call it a, a 12 unit that I was underwriting and I, I had written and prepared this package. And the words he used, you know, rang like a bell that said, that looks pretty good at what the work I had prepared, but the deal's too small for me. I was like, aha, go bigger, go yeah. bigger. So then back to that, well, why can't I do a hundred? Why can't I do a 200? So that was, you know, kind of a big message to me. So, and again, obviously Bill had a similar mindset of going, going big. So we said, we're going to do it. And I think some of the efficiencies that come with that also, as you know, that, you know, just as a rule of thumb, you know, for every like 50 units, you can have like one full-time employee. So with a hundred minimum, we have like one inside for leasing agent, one maintenance person outside. So the, uh, it'll just seem like it would be a little more efficiency in the operation. And then as you scale, so the 200 units we had, you know, two inside, two outside, and also had like a, a part-time to help with some of the maintenance. Initially, with a little heavier lift in the beginning as we're turning things. So some of the efficiencies of scale, I believe, come into play as you get over the hundred unit count. Also, and then depending on your exit, we always need to have different multiple exit strategies. And then who's going to buy it? You know, it's, it's if you have a 12 or a 30 unit, that's going to be, you know, more your mom and pa investor, somebody may be getting into it. It's a different group than, and especially as we get into uh, nicer assets now that are, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, that you have different exits as far as is it going to be. It could be, you know, if you bring it up to core plus, it's an institutional exit. Is going to be another value add to it's going to be you know, so he buys a pension fund for just for cash flow or something like that so yeah. different ideas on that too so the larger gave us more more of an exit um opportunities yeah for sure for sure well i forgot to ask you i was going to ask you earlier and we got into the weeds and some of this stuff which is fine i want to know what is a certified capital raising specialist right so uh where do you where do you get that how do you, what is it what is, what is it yeah, Richard uh, Wilson's uh, family office club. Richard and I had joined that a few years back. And when COVID hit, um, we had, I had several months at home with uh, nothing to do as aviation kind of shut down for a while. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> dug into uh, several of their online courses they had. One was a business broker, one was a certified capital raising specialist. And it was, uh, it's a, it was a very interesting course, but basically it's just, a, again, aligning the town at the top of your funnel kind of like also what you're doing with, you know, the podcast, your books, presentations, but it's, um, I guess, just setting up your, how to reach out to people, how to add value, and then get them kind of into your, your ecosystem to uh, the ones you can help or once you're interested in learning more about it, they could, you know, get your investor list um, as you can present deals and opportunities, education to them. What's so it that worth was it? A, um, it was actually free for being part of the club. So Absolutely. No, but it was, it was the time, even the time commitment. Uh, it, it was, it, uh, I learned a lot from it. He's been doing a long time as far as capital raising. Yeah. It's something that we're always, you know, looking forward in and this kind of business syndication. So there was a lot of, a lot of good information in there. Um, so, 
give us one or two kind of success tips for operating your business effectively. So we're talking business. How do we operate the business effectively, efficiently to have success? I'll throw one out. I think that is um, know your audience, know your market, know your customer, know your resident. Um, you know, we, in that first property we talked about, we had envisioned um, effectively going to kind of, you know, ABC, uh, classic, you know, premium elite, whatever you want to call it in terms of, of trying to uh, go to levels of finish in the in the apartment complex. And we uh, worked on the thought process that we were going to go and, you know, take our classic units up to certainly to the premium level. Then we thought we'd, we'd take a, a run at, um, you know, doing an elite level. And really what that meant was just nicer, a few nicer finishes inside and, you know, kitchen backsplash and, you know, a few other things, uh, you know, that, that would have just made the unit a little bit nicer. And we found that nobody cared. You know, the residents, the potential residents just said, you know what, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay $50 less for the premium unit or whatever it was, 50, 75. I can't remember what the Delta was. Um, that's fine with me. I'm not going to go for the premium unit. So we stopped doing premium units. It just didn't make sense. And, you know, I think again, you, you take that in and apply to a B property, you know, is that B property, um, the kind of property where you need to go to, a to a hard surface, a quartz or a Corian, or not a Corian, a, a quartz or, a, or a, a granite countertop, you know, understand the market. Is that something the residents are going to pay, uh, pay for? And, you know, so that was definitely something I think we, we always try to keep in mind. So. Yeah. And, and you can easily test that, right? You can mm -hmm. test a couple different units. You can put in the uh, laminate, you can put in the quartz and you can see what, how, what people like. Mm-hmm. All right. Bill, how about you? What's, what's a success, uh, a tip for operating successfully? I would say um, you need to be very clear in your communications with your property management team. And then we were, I guess, and especially hyper-focused on making sure that was implemented. Uh, we had lots of contact, lots of visit with them, visits with the on-site property team. We would... Um, uh, weekly calls at the very minimum. We had Monday morning reports. We give her all the matrix of of the property, how it was being implemented, where the turns were. But I, I think just really staying on top of the numbers and where you are in your strategy. Um, don't assume anything is happening the way you envisioned or even communicated. I would I'd say that the best part is almost over communicate in the beginning till you get yeah. a feel for how the team's performing and uh, just stay on stay on top of everybody. Make sure they're implementing the way you envision the plan to work because there will be changes. There'll be hiccups. Will be, you know, yeah. you have to pivot, but you, the quicker you get ahead of that, the better it's going to be for you long-term. One of the things I've done, and this is, this is just a, like a, a bad habit of mine. And I, hopefully I've learned from it. I feel like I have, um, but, and maybe you guys are the same, uh, but I get this vision in my head and I, and I start talking about it and I tell people I'm excited about it in my team in particular. And I've just, obviously they're going to see what I see. Right. And they're just going to go along with like, they, they got it. And, and I don't like spend enough time actually truly explaining it, writing it out, like mapping it out for them, mm -hmm. like drawing right. it, you know, you've got to, right. like, they don't see inside your brain, but for some reason 
I think they do. Like I can, I can see it. Well, as I talk about it, it's like, it's right there. Like how can right. you guys see it? <laughs> it's like so obvious, right? <laughs> so obvious. Yeah. 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 We, we found that exact thing with uh, planning a particular project we were going to do at the first property. And that was, um, you know, we, it was, we were going to build a pavilion. So we, uh, we had a, we had a pad that had been an asphalt pad just sitting there in a, in a space behind a, you know, kind of next to the pool and kind of, you know, right there in the open, completely unused. So we're like, wow, we could do something with that. Let's, let's make a nice build a pavilion. I, I don't know, 20 by 30, I can't remember what it was. Um, so we, you know, cleaned up the pad. Uh, we had a few patches to, to do in the asphalt. Easy, no big deal. Well, as we were, you know, talking, we had a vision for what it was. We explained that to the property manager. Then their job was to go get a couple of bids. And we came back with, you know, somebody wanted to do something over here and, and you know, the bids were all over the place. We're like, wait a minute, that's, that's not what we want. Yeah, Let's get this yeah. back to, so we had to mistake. We, we fixed it. We had to go to really more of a written description about, okay, this is what we're looking for. This is Let's be very clear. This yeah. is what we're trying to get to go back and rebid guys. This is what we asked for. And if you're not going to comply with what we're asking for, you're out. And we did have to throw a couple bidders out. You know, there were a couple people that just couldn't take the direction we were providing to say, we're looking for this. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Clear on communication and know who you're serving. And those are both great uh, lessons for, for people to know and understand. And, and it might take a while to actually to, to become good at them, but um, Okay. So we got to wrap up because uh, we've already been going for longer than I want or close to it, uh, but good conversation so far. So I appreciate it. What, what's a, what's a book recommendation that you can give to our listeners? Yeah, I'll throw one out. Um, you know, rich dad, poor dad. Well, of course, you know, everybody says that, but at the same point in time, there's, it's, it is a great book. It, is a great uh, it does give you some good mindset, but I, w one book that I've always enjoyed uh, and, I, and I'd highly recommend is, is uh, there's a book called the road to ruin by James Rickards. Uh, it was written in 2016. And it, I really, really what it talks about is the uh, international money monetary system and the financial, cr you know, train wreck that was coming and, you know, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Some of the stuff that is, that is in the banking system and the international monetary system that is out there that really is um, works against a lot of people in terms of trying to, you know, build wealth for the themselves in terms of the banking system versus, you know, you and I trying to build wealth. Yeah. Um, so you gotta, you gotta learn some tricks there. And, and the guy is a phenomenal author and he's actually has written a follow-up book that was just released uh really, you know, kind of with some of the lessons from COVID, because we did see a world financial crisis, we have seen a world pandemic. And, you know, just the, we see all of the havoc that that's wreaked on the on the econ economy, etc. And that the new book is called uh, the, the New Great Depression. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty insightful about some of the things that have uh, led us to where we are uh, over the past, uh, past few months. So James Rickards, definitely, the guy's brilliant. You know, he's written a number of other books. But again, the road to ruin and then the, was was a great book so yeah cool yeah and, and i guess kind of on, on a, just understanding business and monetary policy um two are they're very similar in in their approach to that one's more modern uh the creature from jekyll island it was uh, with g edward griffin uh about the, the start of the federal reserve system and how that's affects 
you know, basically everything that goes on in, a, in our monetary system. And the other was the ascent of money. Uh, now, Ferguson, like the beginning of how that from from the uh, early days, how how money came in into being and, and how we use it to this day, how it's evolved. Uh, both were excellent reaches, kind of getting a, a higher level understanding of, of how everything's intertwined and works together. Great. Awesome. We'll get that in our, our book libraries. Um, last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Well, for me, I'm, I'm heavily in, heavily in, in real estate. Um, you know, I do have a little bit of, um, you know, some money in a 401k, you know, from previous employers, that type of thing, you know, but again, I, I've really found that, um, real estate is the place to be, um, you know, certainly doing these deals, you know, we have, we have money in every one of our deals. Um, we, we feel that's really important to explain to our investors as we're asking them to invest with us that we are investing in the deals. Uh, so certainly that's the thing. And then I'm also, uh, exploring the idea of, of doing something in, the, in notes, uh, you know, real estate related, but, but doing something with notes, you know, the concept of basically of being the bank, and uh, so, yeah, that's kind of kind of what I look at. Um, maybe a little bit of stock and bond uh, dabbling, but uh, but again, it's more much more focused on real estate. So, awesome. Yes, yeah, as far as yeah, the creation thing, um, it been invested in stocks through the company, uh, the four hundred one k side for you know close to thirty years, and have always had an interest on the side investing in the market. So, uh, enjoy that. Real estate obviously is a large portion of it um, on the syndication side, which is also our business. And then we also invest, uh, have invested passively in uh, other syndications too for geographic diversity. Um, as far as our, like we eat our own cooking too, invest in all our own deals. Uh, so heavily involved in those three aspects. And, and then just, I guess, just a mindset on the, on the growth side of it. I think I've always been more of like um, the Grant Cardone style of you can grow the, you know, as far as business, you can grow the top line, you know, infinite. There's no little cap to how much you can make versus the Dave Ramsey part where you can shrink your expenses. You can only shrink your way so far. So I think just the, the growth aspect is, is critical as far as, you know, I think they're both, I think they're both correct at different stages in life. Uh, I think you need to get expenses under control initially, but once you get that, you can't save yourself to, you know, real wealth and allow your, to do everything right. you want by mm -hmm. cutting out your cappuccino you know, every day. Uh, we, but you can't grow the top end. So that's always working on education, growing, growing the top end. And we, we say at all, every meeting Richard and I uh, host that, um, you know, we're not in the real estate business, we're in the relationship business. So mm -hmm. I think developing the time for relationships is what's critical as you move forward and, and you'll get the most return for that over anything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and Todd, let me throw one more thing. You know, we also are always on the lookout for like another stream of income, you know, something else that may bolt on to our business um, that, that, you know, perhaps is in some way related. Um, you know, there, there are different ideas out there. We, we, we don't, we, we want to be careful about shiny object symptom and just chasing after something that we don't know about. We don't have yeah. any knowledge about, yeah. you know, but again, we are always on the lookout for other, other things that can uh, add value to, you know, to our customers as well as to, uh, to, you know, certainly wealth creation for ourselves. So. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, guys, look, I, I've, I've really appreciated the conversation, uh, you know, taking us through your journey through that mindset of, of, buying a hundred plus units, buying a 216 unit for the first, you know, deal, which is just amazing. Um, you know, how, how partnering with each other worked and, and, you know, and 
then the the you know knowing who you serve, clear being clear on your communications, mm-hmm. building relationships, um, you know, uh, growing that top line. So so really great stuff, and I appreciate you guys sharing with us. I know I got a lot out of it, and I'm sure our listeners did as well. So I appreciate it. You guys have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks, Todd, for having us. Appreciate Appreciate it. it. Absolutely. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, Give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, And also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.